Welcome, guys, to yet another edition of the Practice Squad Sports Podcast. I am Daniel Durante, and I am joined by a very good friend of mine, Max Richardson. How are we, Max? Great, thanks. Philly had a good win on the weekend, and the Sixers are playing tomorrow. Oh, sorry, on Wednesday. Couldn't be better. Mate, it's been pretty good. That game against uh, the Giants is, is something else, but we won't get into that, because this is our very first NBA podcast, so um, we have sh- heaps to cover. Heaps to cover. We have uh, opening night games. We have some news. We have um, and some breakout candidates that we think are going to excel this year that other people, I guess, may not see coming, I guess. But it's more just our own opinion. So, a lot to cover today. Yeah. Uh, firstly, I just want to make a bit of a disclaimer before we start these NBA podcasts. Firstly, I'm a massive Sixers fan, so I apologise in advance for any episode that if I talk way too much about the Sixers, and I hope that Stegs gets me back on track. And secondly, I know last time we talked about the NFL pod that I was a bit of a football nerd. I think this is quite the opposite this time. So any opinion I have is strictly based off mine and has no fundamental backing, I guess. Absolutely. I think that's two very good points to bring up, is that, yes, I'm a Nick fan, and I'm going to try my absolute hardest to not go on to rants about the Knicks because, as Max knows, I will go on for days. And same thing as Max. These are all my own views. I don't want anyone to like think that I'm getting ahead of myself or like I know a lot. This is all just my own opinion. And I guess, yeah, just for a bit of fun. But um, without further ado, Maxie, let's get cracking. Opening night in, what, three days? Thursday? Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday night in the States, so yeah, Thursday morning for us. Two huge games, I think four pretty big teams, four kind of, guess, powerhouses of the NBA. Uh, the first game, obviously, is your Sixers against the uh, Boston Celtics. Um, so, I, I don't know, what do you think is a few things that maybe um, you're looking for in your Sixers, Max? I think, particularly with the loss of... Ersan Ilyasova and Marco Bellinelli in the offseason, how we're we going to get some shooting depth off the bench. Towards uh, towards the end of the year, we really kicked on when we signed those two guys, and that's yeah. why we, the record was really good. But I think they're hoping that um, Mark Muscala is going to come in and play that Ilyasova role, and hopefully JJ Redick sliding back to the bench might provide that bit of spark off the bench. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I think I, I have two kind of points on that. Again, I don't follow the Sixers as much as you do, obviously, um, and... I think with the with the Sixers, especially Muscala, I don't know personally. I don't know if he can be that kind of same impact player that Ilyasova was off the bench. Ilyasova was a pretty prolific rebounder as well, and defensively he moved a bit better. I think um, around the floor, providing a bit bit more in switches. Um, but in saying that, Redick going to the bench. And Fultz obviously starting. I think Reddick is going to be an absolute. I don't. I he could be six man. Yeah, I think if he plays those twenty five plus minutes, he's probably going to play. That he's de- he'll definitely up there because he, once he comes onto the floor, he's probably going to be the number one option. Especially mm. if Fultz and Simmons are the one distributing. They're not much outside shooters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that. I mean, I think he's, con- he's still going to see moments where Reddick is in with the starters quite often. What do, you, yeah. what do you think? I mean, who's starting? Yeah, I who's, think they, who's, who's starting at the three? That has oh, is it's it going to be Robert Covington. Oh yeah, Covington is cold. Yeah, but yeah. I think they're probably going to run some lineups where they will push Covington out and 
probably play Simmons more at a three traditional three role and then have Fultz handling the ball. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, as that's a thing, so yeah, you could see in lineup again spitballing here with Fultz, Reddick, Simmons, obviously still creating. Collington and Embiid at times, and I think you're going to see that more often than not, to be honest. Yeah, I think particularly the way the kind of landscape of the NBA is going, where it's more positionless yeah. switching, that you're going to get these more like very similar lineups where guys are like six ten and. Yeah, exactly for sure, um, and especially seeing as I think obviously a year, another year under Embiid's belt, and he had a healthy year for the most part obviously he only missed a few games um, and just having um, Simmons he looks like he's put on 10 pounds I could be wrong I'm just saying I'm going off Instagram photos honestly he looks a lot stronger than what he was last year looks in unreal shape and I think that's going to pay dividends uh, especially in, in like a kind of a drive and drive and dish type role it, in, which is what his game is yeah and more so, just on Embiid, I think this is probably his first proper off-season where he's been fully healthy and he's yeah. been able to pr- practice every single day, Yeah, which is going to, I think, pay off particularly down the stretch. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, and I think that's, uh, that's, that's one of the things that the Sixers will, will quite obviously need um, is for Embiid, who I think is maybe their most impactful player. That's not discrediting Simmons or not trying to compare one or the other or trying to say one's better than the other. I just think what Embiid does in the centre of the uh, in the centre position is kind of unparalleled, especially with his skill set. Yeah. The only thing I will say is, though, that last year um, in the Celtics series, Brad Stevens really found him out um, and really kind of broke him down and um, made him not that big defensive force that he was all the way through the year. So I think that's another thing to watch in this game is how not only Stevens continually tries to find Embiid in those difficult pick and roll switch positions, yeah, yeah, but yeah. then also how Brown is going to kind of counteract that with what he's going to be t- um, getting Embiid to do. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think Stevens is that coach that, as you said, yeah, you can see, uh, I guess, faults in uh, certain certain teams lineups, and I think Embiid bring him out from out outside, I guess, and. Having what generally would be uh, Horford out in a pick and roll position, he's going to have more trouble guarding. Because uh, this is another point I want to make, by the way, Max. This is a rant. Every team, this is a sidebar I have to bring up because it frustrates me. Is I every team switches on pick and rolls far too much, far too much, and I don't understand. With a little bit of effort, you can get around screens. Again, I'm no coach. I'm no expert. I just. Always, always taught to fight around screens playing basketball growing up. And again, I'm no expert, but I just think with a bit of effort, that's a sidebar. I needed to get that out there because it's frustrated yeah. me for years. Well, maybe maybe the thing could be is next year or this year, say, that because people are switching so much that it's going to go back to more iso ball, that they were going to try and get, in, get it into the paint with Embiid on a point guard and then just play that way yeah no. if everyone's going to switch everything yeah definitely i uh, definitely i think and i mean that's the thing as well that kind of goes back to what i was saying obviously the sidebar but i think it goes back to me like i guess um Embiid maybe struggling on the switches i think that's what hurt a lot as well yeah that was particularly when they ran the four small and horford they had no banes yeah, out yeah, there. yeah yeah and with now with hayward back 
not necessarily tomorrow because I'm not sure how healthy he is and I'm not sure how much he's going to particularly play because I don't think he's 100%. But I think with Boston, you're going to see a lot of those kind of Kyrie and then three of those kind of small forwards and Horford yeah. and they're just going to um, switch, I guess, pick and roll and try and expose the big guys. Yeah, no, definitely. I And that's the thing with um, just touching on the Celtics. Uh, it's going to be weird to see how they go about their lineups. I mean, what would generally be their, you know, kind of their starting five? Again, running off the top of my head, you have players Kyrie, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Gordon Haywood, and Horford. Now, ideally, that'd be a five. How does Tatum fit into the four? I guess is one question that, again, I'm no coach. That, I mean, it probably would work out. He's a perennial, perennial all star when he's healthy. Probably will work out. Um, so it's just going to be an interesting lineup, and I think that's going to lead to, which brings my next point. I think it's going to lead to, I don't want to say drop off because that's not the right word to use. I think he's just going to see um, Tatum especially. I don't think it'll impact Jalen Brown too much, but Tatum especially. I think you might just see a again. I don't want to say drop off of his game because like that's not really what it is. Because it's just when you get like an all star like Haywood back. You're just going to see, I guess, less of the ball, really. And in the playoffs, Tatum was, like, he was their, their number best one. Player. Yeah, he was the best player. He was the number one option. Straight up. And and with, um, well, Brown, I think his, like, upside and where he is valuable is on the defensive end. So you're Absolutely. not going to be seeing a massive reduction. Absolutely. And that's the thing, thing where, that's what I meant. That's my point. I don't think you're yeah, going to Yeah, Tatum's see... upside is definitely on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. So if he's getting less touches and he's having less shots, then you're yeah. probably going to see a dip in um, scoring numbers. Just, yeah, that's it. Just scoring numbers and, yeah, numbers in, t- in general. But, you know, I mean, it's going to be a pretty, pretty good game. I mean, I guess you could say they're going to be a, maybe one... Or two, three teams in the East, along with Toronto still, who I think are going to be still very good. In fact, I think they're better, but that's a, that's a conversation for another day. So it's yeah. still going to be an extremely good game. A lot of, lot of excitement as well for the, for the opening night, uh, first game of the season. I think where Boston has the upper hand is probably those five through eight guys. They're kind of real depth players. Yeah. And that's when you're getting guys like Semi Ojale and Daniel Tice when he's back. Um, they're probably going to provide be providing a lot more upside than what Philly can bring to the table. Yeah, I sure. think it, it could be effectively a cost of the, toss of a coin for the top three when you've got guys like Simmons and Embiid. Yeah. But I think it's that depth and particularly those kind of down the stretch, end of the third, start of the fourth, when... Boston gets on one of those runs and then they can just bring the starters back in and pretty much finish it off. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and Ojale is one of those guys that is just an absolute hard night of a defender. Uh, took it to LeBron last year as well. So, um, Anyway, moving on to our next game. Don't want to get caught on one game for too long. Uh, <laughs> next game, uh, Thunder Warriors. Thunder at Warriors. Um, opening night game for the reigning champs at home. It's going to be an interesting one. I still think uh, Oklahoma, OKC could be in for, I don't want to say a, uh, I don't want to say a uh, surprising year, but I think maybe better than last year because they kind of bounced out of the post a bit early. Yeah, I'm a lot higher on the Thunder than most people, I think. Yep. I think particularly getting Roberson back and losing Mello. Yeah. And Paul George is now set that he's going to stay. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think uh, I love that by Paul George showed a little bit of confidence, and no one saw that coming. I don't think. Um, Melo leaving is. I love Melo, but I don't want to say he's he's terrible defensively. He didn't help them at all, in the slightest. But and then yeah, Roberson. I think he's still going to miss a bit of the year because he had a setback with his injury. Yeah. So, but once he gets back, they can sure. roll out that lineup of Westbrook, Roberson, and George, and yeah. even to an extent Jeremy Grant. He's probably going to see an uptick in minutes. Yeah, um, Jeremy Grant is can provide almost as much, or actually, if not as much, defensively as Paul George. Um, he's extremely physical on the defensive end. And yeah, long and rangy. Yeah, long. Yeah, very long. And I mean, obviously, you saw him when he was in Philly, so um, you know a bit about him, but. Put on quite a bit of size as well. Yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, he has. Definitely, his shoulders are huge now. So, yeah, no, that'll be an interesting lineup just to see how they go defensively. And I think I think Paul George was maybe in the, almost even stiff for defensive player of the year. I thought he had a great defensive yeah. year. I, I guess maybe just because, I don't know, I guess he didn't want to get, uh, maybe he did get overlooked just because of his position. Yeah, and with Defensive Player of the Year, it's very you have to really watch basketball to understand who's good defensively. Yeah. You can't just have a look at a box score and say he had two steals or he had two blocks. Yeah. And I think, well, that's where it differs for me between who's MVP and who's Defensive Player of the Year because with a box score, you can easily see who's had 30 points. But defensively, it's very different and how they switch and how they move and how they're communicating and I yeah. think Paul George is extremely good at that. I think he's almost perfect. I think that was his best defensive year in that, that season prior. So, and I mean, yeah, I don't think I don't think Westbrook's been cleared still. I don't. He could be in. He could be questioned to play. Is he? Is he definitely not playing? Or uh, I think I saw something early yesterday. I just double checked before, but he hasn't been cleared. He's still day to day. Yeah, I, I think he'll sh- play. You think he will? I th- I just gut feeling, Max. You know how I go with fantasy football, gut feeling. You're playing at <laughs> <laughs> you're playing at the Warriors, and you want to risk your opening night basketball, opening night hoops, man. I, re- I reckon he's in. Uh, he he won't be playing forty minutes, but I reckon he'll play. I think if it was up to him, he'd be playing, of course, because he has that kind of demeanor about him where yeah. he wants to play, and especially against the Warriors. Yeah, but... no, definitely. But like speaking of the Warriors, actually though, it's going to be. Uh... The depth at center is a bit. I don't. I see. I think maybe we might differ. Like the depth of at the center position or the four five spots. I don't think they're in trouble. I mean, obviously Cousins isn't playing still with the Achilles. I don't think there is in much trouble as what maybe it might seem on the box score. Uh, not on the box score, just on the on their roster. I think they're high on Looney. He has one year left in his deal, by the way, and I think a team. Don't know who he's gonna give him a bit of cash. I don't want to say I don't think he's gonna be earning fifteen mil a year, but I think you know I don't see it's not inconceivable to see if a team pays him eight to ten mil, seven to ten mil maybe, just because of what he brings to the court, through, like with his energy and his um, assertiveness on the defensive end. Yeah, I think and, he's definitely gonna have to. No, oh. oh, you know, yeah, no, I was just gonna to add to that. Sorry as well with Jordan Bell. There was talks last season. It was obviously his rookie year. There was talks last year that he was, you know, running in practice. He was just right next to Draymond Green the entire the entire preseason, just getting 
you know, absorbing as much information from him as he possibly could. And, and obviously, Draymond was never in uh, any jeopardy of losing his spot, but he had made a comment um, to the media that if he's not careful, Jordan Bell's going to take his spot. So I think he's an extremely, extremely hard worker, Jordan Bell. And I think those two guys, Jordan Bell and, um, uh, and Looney, they're, they're going to have a pretty impactful year. And I think they're going to be more, uh, I guess, more, have seen more minutes than maybe what you what you might think than what they did last year, obviously, with Petrulli and McGee. Yeah, well, probably Bell's probably going to start and... I dare say that Looney's probably going to provide those fifteen minutes, that those fifteen bouncy minutes that McGee came in and gave them. Particularly in those yeah. playoffs, he was. Javale McGee was very good in those playoffs, especially um, just coming in and providing that spark. Yeah, that he does. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, but in saying that as well, actually, you mentioned that Bell might start. That is actually, that is actually correct. Steve Kerr has said that um, that DJ. I think mean, it's Damon Jones. He's starting. He's starting at the five. Yeah. He apparently he's, he's, the, he's the biggest story from the preseason, according to Steve Kerr. Well, that's a quote. That's a quote from Steve Kerr. But then again, that doesn't necessarily mean he's probably going to play majority of the minutes. Of like course. They only played. Of course. They only played Petrulia just to start of course. Blame those Pe- first kind of six minutes. Of course. But Bell and Looney are going to see a chunk of those minutes, and obviously that uh, that lineup, lineup as well, where they have. Green at the five, so I don't think they're in any jeopardy at all in the front court or at the center position. So I think they're still clean, clear cut favorites to win the championship. And I don't think they have anything to worry about. If anything, obviously the depth at other positions are concerned, but I don't think the the depth that or the the perceived lack of depth at the four five spots is going to be an issue for them. I really don't. An interesting Personally. little. Uh... Bit of inf- bit of bit of a nugget, I yeah. guess. Dex is that uh, Patrick McCaw is holding out. Yeah, I know. It's a very strange situation yeah. because he's only played in the league for I think two, three, two or three years. Yeah, and he's a restricted free agent, and he's still well. He's just refused to sign his um, what the Warriors have offered him. Yeah, I think. And, well, I guess that's just a classic instance of a player backing themselves, but. I mean, I think maybe there is a team that's going to offer him more, and obviously a lot of these players, they want to play for a big contract or a big contract based on who, what they think they are as a player and who they believe to that they're going to be in the league. But, yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I know where you're coming from. It's a bit of a head-scratcher. Yeah, and I don't think that's definitely going to help out the Warriors with their um, backcourt depth. No, not at all, yeah. Not at all. So, I mean, we'll see what McCord does this year. We'll see if he can... Kind of live up to his expectations, I suppose. Yeah, um, and especially after he had that very kind of scary in- injury that happened to him last year. Yeah, that was pretty gruesome. And now coming back. Luckily, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, they're, our, they're the two opening night games. Extremely excited for for regular season hoops, to say the least, Max. And I, I, know, you, I know you're the same. Yeah, just one last thing on the Warriors. I, yeah, last right year... On. There was a bit of a perception that, and I guess maybe you could say that the Warriors, they kind of cruised during the regular season mm-hmm. and allowed the Rockets to almost take that first spot. I think, once again, I'll just preface this, that it's my personal opinion. It probably has nothing, no factual backing, but I reckon the Warriors are going to try really hard this year. 
and I reckon they really gonna gun be gunning for that one spot again. For sure, just a big fuck you to the league. Yeah, and especially with that decision about KD, what he's doing up there looming, and yeah, also that kind of scare that the Rockets gave him in the conference finals before. For sure, Chris Paul was injured. That they've not necessarily their windows closing, but other teams are kind of figuring them out to an extent. Yeah, and also just the fact that, and I've said this all along. I said this to a lot of different teams. Any, any, a uh, lot of different people. Sorry, any team that's not like. I guess, building for this post-Warrior era, whether that's after this year or three, four, five years' time, I think they're a bit obsolete. So I, I definitely I definitely do think that, especially some teams like the Celtics, especially, who are still very young, um, do, do loom a threat to the, to the uh, juggernaut that is the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, and also... So, that kind of, I guess, segues into one of our next topics, but there's a player out there in the league who's holding out, who could be sticking around with a 22-year-old potential unicorn phenom, whatever you want to call him. He could stick it out and wait to this post-Warriors era, but he's choosing not to, I guess, to an extent. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but, yeah, just obviously with, yeah, with KD, I mean... He seems to be happy, and he seems to be the type of guy that's a uh, bit of a... I don't mean this in a bad way, because I don't like knocking any player or talking down on anyone. Or He seems to be a little bit sensitive. Do you get that kind of vibe? Anytime someone is kind of snaps at him, he always chirps back up on social media and stuff, and always calls people out. And I don't know, like, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I think it's good that he stands up for himself, honestly, but I think he's going to... Here's a bit to prove still, especially. Yeah. Uh, especially but, at this but, but then again, like I don't think he has anything to prove because he's done it all, and I know it's a bit easy to say, but I don't really understand why he cares about what. Yeah. People, people like us say on Twitter. Yeah. No, but that's yeah, exactly. <laughs> us, just absolute keyboard warriors. But no, my point is like, that's kind of like what I'm saying in a sense in terms of his sensitiveness is that he has stuff to prove. I guess the people that are still sledging him. I mean, everyone knows how great he is. He's the second best player in the league. AMO, in my opinion. But he's <laughs> yeah, the second best player in the league, and he doesn't need to, but I think, as I said, he's still a bit sensitive to that, and it's just he feels like he still needs to show that. Yeah, and he's uh, worried about what other people think about him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of, <laughs> Jimmy Buckets Butler. That is an interesting storyline, and I think we might have differing uh, differing views on this, if I'm not mistaken. What do you think of the, of the debacle? I can understand where he's coming from, yeah. but I guess I touched on it a little bit earlier. You've got a guy in Carl Towns who's 22, potentially could be putting up numbers like 28 and, and 14 in a couple of years when he's in his prime, Yeah, and the Warriors... They're not getting any younger. And you have a guy who doesn't want to get paid a bit under the max because he wants to make that one hundred one what that what's that sorry, he wants that hundred and ninety million dollar contract. Yeah. And I just I don't understand it from his perspective. Yeah, I mean it is because you can look at it either way and understand like the good and side bad side of it. Um Especially from the money standpoint, where he's a guy that 
This will probably be he's going into what will be his last contract. Yes. Like his last big contract, I mean. Cause what he's and in, especially the player he is. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's not an outside shooter that can play at least 40. No, but in saying that, he's uh, a guy that came into the league defensively, defensive-minded, and still to this day, he's still one of the top premier defensive players in the league. I don't think there's, there's no disputing that. He's worked tirelessly in his game. There's, you know, there's stories of his off-seasons and how he's just constantly training, working out, playing pickup games. Gun goes under the radar as well. He's not one of those guys that posts it on social media. Um, so he's worked on the offensive side of his game. So, And I think a lot of players know that obviously the back end of the career they need to develop that outside shot, which LeBron has done. MJ did it. Uh, even Jason Kidd as well. Just a couple of players that came to mind, sorry. Um, so I don't, I don't think... I think it's his last big contract is my point. Like, it's his last... He wants that max in the heat because he wants that to set him up going into the back end of his career. Is he 29? Yeah. I guess the way I kind of look at it is from Minnesota, or from Jimmy Butler's perspective, if they pay him that $190 million, then they have no other money to surround him with any talent, effectively, apart from those three. And... Yeah. So then they, well, then the argument could be, oh, well, you didn't surround me with enough talent. But then in the same sense that if they don't pay him, he feels like they don't want him. Yeah. I, I, can't, I can't see where there's a win in this situation. I know. Honestly. I know, I know. And especially seeing as obviously Towns, yeah, as he signed that huge deal. But Wiggins is like the type of player. Um, Teague, actually, I'm going to start with Teague because... Yeah, they brought him in, obviously wanted to, to sturdy up that point guard position and when Rubio, obviously Rubio went to Utah. And I don't know I don't know if I rate him too highly as a point guard in that kind of system. I think he was great in Atlanta, deservedly an all-star. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Jeff Teague's worth $90 million what he's getting he's paid. Not, he's not worth $90 million. Thank God for your... I love that you love numbers because you have all these stuff <laughs> lined up. Um, all these numbers lined up that I can just... Digest. <laughs> nah, but yeah, I don't know if I rate him as that type of a championship point guard, I guess. Uh, but Wiggins is the type of player. He's I was huge on him coming in, and in high school, as well, and going into Kansas. I was always just kind of an Andrew Wiggins fan from when I Slam Magazine did a, <laughs> a feature article on Andrew Wiggins when he was in high school, and since then I had like fallen in love with him. But he still hasn't shown too much. And I think there's a bit, couple of reports of him maybe not caring as much in practice and stuff. Um, yeah, I think that also extends to Towns. Is that, well, this, there's kind of this generational divide between Butler, who's a very much like grind it out and everything you earn what you get kind of motto. And then there's these two young guys in Wiggins and Towns who are very much social media that they're extremely talented, so they might they, they yeah. might not think they have to work as hard as Jimmy Butler. It's and almost an age gap. It's only like eight, like yeah, seven years. six years or something. Yeah, seven, yeah. six, seven years. It's not even that much, but it's just that, yeah, age gap in the, I guess, where the game is currently uh, in with all the players. But And then Towns, I mean, you hear the story about after the, that infamous practice. So <laughs> we actually probably should have covered that for maybe some listeners who aren't listening. So I'm just going to give a quick rundown. So Jimmy Butler... 
requested a trade from the Timberwolves. Essentially, the Wolves didn't find a trade and didn't pull uh, pull a trigger on any trade, and he came into one of Sorry, their... can I interrupt? Yes, yeah. thanks. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw it reported by um, the great man, Adrian Wojnarowski, that the Minnesota Timberwolves actually did have a trade partner, and it was the Miami Heat. Yeah, and they were going to for. send... They were going to send Butler to the Heat for Josh Richardson and a protected first until right at the last minute when um, Scott Layden, who's the uh, Timberwolves GM, asked for a sweetener and he wanted to because he wants to get off Gorgie Deng's contract, currently four years, $62 million, which is ex- $16 million for Gorgie Deng is way overs. And yeah. I think that's when Pat Riley, the um, president at down at Miami was like, not nah, this, we're not doing this. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and then obviously we've had this infamous training um, disaster. Yeah, exactly, where he came into... Or whatever you call it. Yeah, where he came into the into one of their practices absolutely hot. He was irate. He was calling everyone out. He had Towns backing him down in the post. Butler saying stuff like, you can't guard me, you can't do shit against me. And then Towns supposedly passed the ball out. Yeah, he was calling um, Tom... Tom Thibodeau out. He was calling the GM out. He was calling everyone out. He was irate. And essentially, apparently what happened, is getting my next point with Towns, apparently what happened at the end of that, so Towns, their corner piece, I guess, the franchise player, their future, he apparently, again, these are just according to some sources, apparently he had called the team together and all he said after the practice once, once Jimmy Butler stormed out after the practice was over, Jimmy Butler stormed out. Towns called them in. Apparently, all he said was, "You can't let your emotions get the better of you," and that was it. And that was yeah. the end, that was the end of the that was the end of the huddle. And from what I've read, I don't think the other teammates kind of. I think they saw that saw through that message a bit, kind. Yeah, I guess. yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so I don't know. But, Again, I like the fire though. I do like it. I li- I yeah, like, but just I like the... uh, another kind of point to add is is that this isn't sustainable. You can't have people not liking each other on a team and expecting to have sustained success, which is what the NBA is at eighty two game yeah. grind. Absolutely. And right. you're having two guys you can't expect Jimmy Butler to be revving everyone up every night. That's it. But I'm saying like what if I mean you don't hear any other stories, like obviously you hear sometimes players going back and forth at each other in practice or on the sideline. You see it sometimes, players yelling at each other. If that happens, that's basketball. But I think something like this, where apparently it was so big that it made headlines, I think something like that, obviously, you're 100% right, it could absolutely divide the team. Jimmy Butler could be hated and there could be no result from it. But in a spot where, I guess, they barely made the playoffs last year, they lost in five to the Rockets... Um, they absolutely scrapped it out in the last game of the season against Denver Nuggets in a spot where I guess maybe you should see a bit more from a team, a bit of a spark like that. I'm I'm not I'm not against it personally. I I think that's completely fine, just personally. But um, and I know I'm more for it than I am against it. Is my point. I know personally. we're talking about this. We're talking a bit about this before, but just a bit of a out there trade scenario or potential landing spot that has definitely been, hasn't been reported anywhere. But if I'm Sam Presti, the Oklahoma City Thunder, 
GM. Mm-hmm. I'm giving Tom Thibodeau a call and saying, what about Terence Ferguson and a lottery protected first and you send us Jimmy Butler? And then we roll out Westbrook, Roberson, Jimmy Butler, Paul George and Stephen Adams. Yeah. I mean, in an ideal world, that'd be unreal. But I think, first of all, I don't think it would be a protected lottery pick. I think it would need probably, to be yeah. Yeah, unprotected. unprotected. And maybe throw in some another contract. Yeah, and Thibodeau's probably going to want to throw Dang in any deal now. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, that'd be unreal. Ideally, but... But, you know, anyway, moving on. Next storyline, we touch on that one for a little bit, but uh, next one was uh, the Phoenix Suns had fired general manager Ryan McDonough. McDonough? 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 McDonough, McDonough yeah. McDonough. Um, actually, quick in- bit of trivia. Mm. Ryan McDonough is actually the brother of last year's Monday Night Football caller, Sean McDonough. What a stat. Uh, what, a, what a fact. That's, fun. That's fantastic. For any of our football listeners out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So that was, that was one move that I thought... I scratched my head at, like, especially going through an entire off-season where you sign players, you get in Ryan Anderson's contract, you bring in Trevor Ariza, you draft a number one pick. That's the, that's the big one. You draft a number one pick, you let a GM draft a number one pick, but then you later, a couple of weeks, a couple of months later, you fire him. You sign, now this one's not, I mean, if any GM would do this. He signed Devin Booker to that massive contract. Max, you have the numbers? I believe it was the Max. It was the Max, yeah, no, it was the Max, yeah. Um, you do all these. It was a pretty active off-season for the Suns. And after all that, it was, what, two a week or two before tip-off, you fire your general manager and you promote... I'm not against the promotion, though. James Jones... Former teammate of LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, Chris Chris Bosh in Miami, to the general manager position. I just think it's that's too of an erratic, too much of an erratic move this close to the start of the season, especially after going through that active of an off season. And also, the Suns actually traded back into the first round to draft Mikael Bridges. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with the, that the that doesn't seem like a move that a GM's doing, leveraging the future. Yeah. It, it seems very odd that they've given him, that Robert Sarver, the owners, just yeah. released him kind of now, yeah, like days before the start of the season. Yeah, no, for sure. It's, um, it is a head scratch. I, I'm, it makes me think that there was something else. There was something else going on, personally. Yeah, I think that as well. I think if you look at their roster, they've got a pretty big hole in at the starting point guard position and potentially there was something where the owner Robert Sava thought that McDonough should have made a deal and he didn't agree with it yeah. or something else but that's it. even if that's just the case that's not enough to fire a guy and I mean their their um their point guard at the moment is their rookie What's yes over? yes who I'm a bit higher on actually yeah you like him yeah, yeah I like him yeah. um yeah. and also, it, not only that, is it just seems weird once again that McDonough has been there for five years and I understand if you're firing him, but firing him at the start of the off-season so the new GM could come in and, I guess, 
take control about what yeah. he wants to do and the vision that he wants to impart on the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, you go. Not only that is that we're seeing now a lot of these times where the upper management and owners are aligning the interests of both the GM and the coach long term and signing them to kind of mirroring contracts. Yeah. And once again, we're getting a GM who now is going to be coming into a job with not a head coach that he's hired. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. And I think James Jones, however, um, teammate, as I stated before, former teammates with LeBron in Miami and is a guy that has notoriously uh, an extremely uh, bright basketball mind. I think LeBron, when he went back to Cleveland, brought James, James Jones over for the, for the year just with his basketball mind and his knowledge of the game. So I don't think... And it brings it also brings a youthful I guess a youthful mind as feel, well. Yeah. yeah, youthful feel to the to the organization. Uh, especially uh, seeing as James Jones is only what, like two or three years out of the league. So he's still relatively fresh, um, out of the league, but in saying that has no general manager experience. Yeah. Being in a locker room and being in a front office, I would assume would be extremely different and yeah, it just seems strange that they've gone for someone with no experience. Yeah, uh, he, he did have he did have a, a tiny bit of experience. Yeah, or with the basketball ops position. Yeah, it's very similar. The president of basketball operations, I think he was. If I'm not mistaken, I probably am wrong, but um, kind of similar to that gene role. And it probably is worth mentioning James Jones is actually only the interim general manager. Um, could get promoted to f- the full time general manager. Who knows? Wouldn't surprise me. Um, feel like that's a that's the thing that you probably would do. You re-sign the guy that is the guy who's replaced the guy you fired after five years. So, But Igor Kokoshkov, he's a coach, I think. I think he was rostered for a head coaching role. He's been rostered for one for a while. He probably should have been. I'm surprised he hasn't been picked up already. But um, coming from Utah. Yeah, assistant so, Utah and yeah. also the uh, Slovenian national Slovenian head national coach. Team. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a head-scratcher. I, I think there has to be something behind it. Ryan McDonough getting getting fired, but I guess we won't know. That's just the... Unless something comes out. So, but, yeah, no, there are a couple of just quick new, news points that we had. Uh, it's going to touch on now just a couple of, I guess, the rookie class. Maybe some expectations, or our expectations, again. All our opinions. Um, that we may have on some. So, Max, did you want to lead us off with with some that you had in mind? Yeah, starting out at the top, I don't understand why the Phoenix Suns took DeAndre Ayton. That might be, I don't know if you, you probably disagree with that, but I think he definitely has the offensive side to his game. But like I, like we kind of touched on a bit before, the game's becoming very, coming very positionless. And I think he's going to get caught out on the defensive end. And he did show defensive flaws at Arizona last year. Yeah. And not only that is, there's a 6'10 guy who can handle the ball, shoot off the dribble, yeah. played professionally, played against NBA talent. Yeah. Not only did he play extremely well at the Eurobasket and in Luka Doncic, and they don't take him. He was the best I, player I, in the league, by the way. He was the best player 
in, in the, the second best league in the world, and he won he won the MVP at you know nineteen. So yes, I agree. So okay, this is I said this to you, Max. I remember we had a disagreement because I I I was on the I'm in the exact same boat as you. I said Luka Doncic is the best player in the draft, but. From the standpoint of drafting eight and one, I understand it. He's a he's a force. He runs the floor. He shoots. He obviously stretches out. He moves so well. His footwork is pretty impeccable for for the, a guy his size. And you're right. Defensively, there is still a bit to work on. But let's not forget that there is a player on the Phoenix Suns roster by the name of Tyson Chandler, who is a former Defensive Player of the Year, at the center position. That can probably teach him a thing or two for the next one, two, three years before he probably retires, maybe. And then I know that Chandler has a great rapport with Devin Booker. So I could I can see Tyson Chandler going into a coaching role once his playing days are over and sticking around and he's going to be able to, I think, get Aiton into, uh, build him into the defensive player that what his skill set will allow him to be. So from yeah, that standpoint, I can, I can see that. the I can see the number one. I can see why the Suns drafting at pick, uh, pick number one. That's my point. But in saying that, again, I understand. I think Luka Doncic was the best player in that draft, or is the best player from that draft. So that's my take. I love when we do have differing kind of um, points. I think it creates for an interesting conversation. Yeah. What do you reckon? What do you What do you think about Trey Young? I don't know. I have two thoughts on Trey Young. I don't understand why that. Why the hell? Um, Atlanta traded, drafted Doncic, and then traded him on the draft day. They traded back to get Trey Young at the five spot, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I even think that was pretty high for Trey Young to go at five in general. But not only that, they passed on Doncic, which is, <laughs> I, again, I'm not sure. Um. But I don't. Again, I'm not the type of player who's going to knock. I'm not the type of guy who's going to knock any player because so often there's so many people that write off 19 year olds or 20 year olds, 18, 19, 20 year olds who just come into the league and write them off instantly. Trey Young is an exceptional playmaker, handles the ball really well, finds the open man, and obviously has that shooting capability. But interesting thing. Steve Nash reckons that he is he sees a little bit of a young version of himself in Trey Young just with his um, passing capabilities. Again, that's Steve Nash saying this, and maybe he's just trying to I don't know, doesn't want to seem modest or anything, but that's a big that's a big call. That is a big Steve, call. Steve Nash likes his game though. That's the point. Yeah, I guess going back to what you were touching on. I'm not saying that, well, first of all, I'm not saying that Aiton is bad or Trey Young is bad. I'm just saying I would rather have Luka Doncic oh, over those players. For sure. I'm honestly, not knocking them. No, honestly, same. Me too. And also, to, to further, um, to add to my point is, one of my biggest pet hates is around draft day, is when people put out draft grades. How mm. can you grade a player that has never played a minute in the league? How can you grade them? 
No, I agree. I don't, I don't understand it. Or again, I understand maybe three years down the track, you say, oh, three years ago, let's look at the draft and let's look at how it turned out. But yeah. how can you say on the day what they're going to be like? Yeah. No, no, I, get, I agree. I agree. I guess the only player that you can almost do that with is Doncic because he played in the second best league in the world and was he's an played MVP professionally and was an MVP in that league. So again, another reason why I think he is the best player in the draft. It's a very hard thing for me to articulate just because obviously he didn't go number one and I'm saying Aiton going number one is makes sense. <laughs> but I still think Luka Doncic is the best player from that draft. And touching back on um, on Trey Young, let's not forget that the Atlanta Hawks general manager, Travis Schlenk, did work... Um, well, he was the assistant general manager for the Golden State Warriors, and he drafted Steph Curry. And there are comparisons to Steph Curry. So, not saying that he's Trey Young is that type of player that Steph's going to be, but maybe that's what he wanted. He definitely uh, uh, dipped a bit in um, production towards the end of the year at Oklahoma. He started es- out red hot, especially and that second when he dipped, they were going. That's when they started going against the powerhouses. So, yeah, and it's an interesting I. One. Potentially, he could have rode that kind of early wave into the um, draft process, but obviously, um, Atlanta still felt confident enough that he was their guy. Yeah, no, definitely. Nah, for sure. I mean, we'll see what happens. Again, I don't want any player to not succeed. I want the, I want the league to be as competitive and as filled with talent as possible. So I don't want any. I don't want any. I guess. I don't want any player to not succeed. Um, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw a couple of other players that I'm keen on, other rookies that I'm keen on. I'm not gonna go into huge backstory for him. Um, Jaron Jackson. I think he's going to be. This is a big statement. He's 18. I'm pretty sure 19. He's gonna be an All Star. Mark my words. Again, I don't know anything, but he's. I think he's gonna be an All Star max. Um, Especially on the defensive end. Defensive end, I think of his course. range and length is yeah, and particularly Mar- yeah, yeah, for sure. And Marcus Sol still down there, um, who is a perennial um, or defensive type player when he's healthy, of course. So he's going to obviously a tutelage from him. It's going to be huge, uh, and he moves so well, Max. He had he, he's there's some games again preseason. You know, you take take it with a grain of salt the preseason, but. He was taking guys off the dribble from the three-point line and a guy that size. And again, he's another one of those players with great footwork in the low post. So he's a great great skill set. And once he gets a bit stronger, he's going to be a, he's going to be a force. And particularly like you touched on before with Aiden and Chandler, I think Jackson can definitely learn a few offensive skills and post moves that Mark Casola has made kind of his thing yeah. since coming into the league from... Yeah, definitely. Gasol, just touching on Gasol as well, he's got like that kind of, again, I don't want to compare, but <laughs> that just the, Tim Duncan obviously had like that bank shot and he just was able to get a shot off over anyone. I feel like Gasol's almost, like he's on the, like not on the same level as Duncan, but just his, yeah, his footwork's pretty good and of course, and he's gets a shot off over anyone pretty effort effortlessly. Yeah. Again, I'm not. I think so. I'm not saying that they're on the same page because Tim Tim Duncan's greatest power forward ever. Yeah, I Top tend to agree. I think 
Tim Duncan gets underrated. Um, he gets disrespected a lot because he's not so out there yeah. as other people. Yeah, but I think true basketball purists know what know what he brought. Any any other rookies that you were looking at, Max? Um, a couple. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Shea Gilders Alexander from the yeah. Clippers, their first round pick. Me too. I've liked what I've heard out of their camp and watched a bit of tape on him, and I think he moves well. Um, I think they're a lot more confident with how he handles the ball. Uh, um, coming out of college, I think there was a bit of a knock on him that he couldn't handle the ball very well, but I think they've been pleasantly surprised there. Yeah. Um, another a, one. Love a big yeah. guard with um, Gildas Alexander. Do you think he'll start just quickly? Probably not at the start. I don't think so either. I think it will still think so. be Beverly and Bradley in the backcourt. Yeah, but I definitely think they'll work his he'll work his way into the starting rotation. I agree. Yep. Um, another one I like is Landry Shamit. <laughs> yep. Yes, he does play for the Sixers. Um, but particularly over this preseason, like we've talked touched on before, Philly was looking that kind of second level scoring off the bench, and I think he's provided that, um, and potentially could play a significant role off the bench. I agree. I think as well, if Shamit can work with... Um, JJ. JJ, exactly. I Because Shamit absolutely... He's always on his toes. Um, he's always looking to cut. He wants to, he wants to get the ball. And I think the way that Reddick moves off the ball and has ability to get open um, and find his shot, I think Shamit might be able to learn a thing or two from Reddick. In terms and, of that, because um, he's going to be able to at least get open, not the shooter that Redick is, but at least get open, can get a shot and get to the get to the rim with his length because he is gangly. And particularly the way that um, you probably don't watch many Sixers games, but I do. But the way that JJ runs around, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love he's trying so hard to get open. And yeah. I know um, JJ was talking in an interview the other day, and he said that. Landry Shamit is one of those guys that every rep he at training he's it's like he's playing a game and that's what he loves about him. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And you can see that you can see how he plays. Yeah, uh, when when he played in college, you can see the type of player he is. He loves. It looks like he just loves playing. He looks exci- yeah. He looks like a like a little puppy dog. Just yeah. so happy. Just loves his run around. I think yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think he's going to be able to learn a bit from JJ Reddick. One player I want to touch on really quick, Max, before we move on, unless you have anyone else you want to talk about. I think you might. Um, the last guy I want to talk on is Mo Bumba. Uh, I'm huge on Mo Bumba. I know Embiid has... Seems to have... I don't know if he has him under his <laughs> wing or like he just loves calling him out. I love that. But I, I think, think Mo Bumba... I think they are mates and I yeah, think no, that's why it's like a... Yeah. Like a kind of ongoing thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, well, they do. Have, they have trained together in the off season, of course. Um, with again, uh, hopefully he's listening. Hopefully he'll listen. With a friend of mine, Chima Maneki. he was. Uh, they trained together. I know. You know, they had a pretty good off season together. So, doubt he's listening, but. But you know, so Mo Bumba and I think Embiid are pretty good friends. But you know, Mo. Anyway, back to Mo Bumba. Um, defensively, obviously, he can. Worked on his jump shot over the kind of summer and towards the end of his college years, uh, college season at Texas. Um, he defensively, he what he does, and what I love with a shot blocker, he's a great shot blocker. But 
not only that, he keeps the ball in bounds when he blocks shots, and that's an underrated asset. It's one of those fundamental things, Max, that kind of need, um, kind of need as a. I think Paul Zingas does again. I, again, Nick fan. I know, I know, I know. But Paul Zingas does it where he blocks shots, but he keeps it in play, keeps it in bounds. Almost just palms it instead of swatting. Yeah, exactly. So that's a huge skill set. That's like what I've seen of Bamba that I love. So that's my take on Mo Bamba, and I think he's going to be a pretty good player down there in Orlando. Yeah, and also just um, that defen- that defensive length that they're going to have, I guess, in three years when they're rolling out Gordon, Jonathan Isaac, and Mo Bamba, that is freaky. Yeah, no, absolutely. I definitely agree. And I think, speaking of Jonathan Isaac, kind of leads into our next segment, actually. is One of our segments is uh, a couple of, I guess, players or teams that we think are going to surprise some people this year. Again, according to us. So I take it with a grain of salt. But Jonathan Isaac is one of those players I think he's going to have uh, a breakout year, I guess. he's will be This will be his third year. Came into the league very skinny, not a lot of muscle, quite weak, but he's, over, he's noticeably a bit bigger. And I think he's going to be a lot more aggressive on a team with not much of a scoring punch anywhere outside of um, Evan Fournier, uh, oh, and Aaron Gordon, of course. Vucevic is a bit erratic, but I think Jonathan Isaac is going to really step up and take a much larger scoring role, specifically, I think. Yeah, and he started to see that towards the end of last year. He definitely yeah. came on a bit, which I think is definitely promising for Magic fans. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, like, I guess, speaking of other players that kind of, you know, might... Might come through is Jonathan Allen. Um, Jonathan Allen. John Collins. Sorry, sorry, John John Collins. Collins, Yeah, for the Atlanta Hawks. He's so athletic, man. He plays like a wing, but he's 6'10". He's a power forward, but he moves like a wing. Yeah. Yeah. I I like what they're kind of building down there with John Collins, and also they've got um, Terran Prince or Terran Prince. Terran Prince, yeah. Um, I think those two guys move extremely well. We'd like to see them work on a bit more on their offensive game but I think now that when you add in Trey Young that that's going to probably ease that load yeah for sure and especially as we touched on before the playmaker that Trey Young is it's going to make it's going to make uh, things a lot easier for guys like yeah Torian Prince and John Collins um and yeah, yeah so any other players that you want to touch on before we move on to the teams that might surprise uh, I thought we might touch a bit on D'Angelo Russell I know he's not really yeah, like a rookie that's going to break out, but I just feel like he's got a skill set and just a feel about him that there's something that could just click and he yeah. could just have a kind of bit of an up upish year. And particularly, he's probably going to get a lot of opportunity in Brooklyn. Yeah, that definitely. he could something could pop. Yeah, and I and just a side note, I that's love good. Kenny Atkinson. Love Kenny Atkinson. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I think he's been put into a situation down there that's. A tough one, obviously, with the state that the Nets are in. But again, you can only hope, wish for the best for a team. And I think the Nets are definitely on the on the up, and I love to see that. But yeah, D'Angelo Russell, uh, he's got a, a bit of a swagger about him at times. It got him a, a bit of trouble in LA, as we know, uh, with Nick Young and the comments stated there. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, he's seemed to have worked on his ball handle. The Knicks played the Nets twice, so this preseason. Um, so I've seen a bit of the Nets 
in the preseason, and he seems to have worked on his uh, ball handling in the pick and roll. He's found it a bit easy to get to the rim or find the open man, or even get a shot off, which is the main point I want to make with D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo Russell didn't have much... He never got much leverage off the ground when he shot. He was very almost flat-footed. He hardly got off the ground. Um, and especially a guy like that, who's a, where Towns doesn't really get off the ground when he shoots, but he's a bit bigger. He doesn't really need that height or leverage in his jump shot. But D'Angelo Russell was a player that a bit smaller. You need to get your legs underneath you to get a good jump shot off. Fundamental of shooting. And he seems to have worked on his jump shot and he's getting a lot higher off the ground when he shoots and maybe take a, taking a page out of Ray Allen's book. But I think that's going to help his um, shooting numbers go up significantly and that's going to bring in a, yet another aspect to his game in which I think he will break out. Yeah, and also that he's going to have kind of a few bouncy wing players and Dinwiddie and Levert, who's probably going to spread the floor a bit for him. And then they've also got Jared Allen, who's... Um, extremely athletic and can mm. move very well, like John Collins and also Isaac and Bumba. Yeah. And uh, having Russell in that as that pick-and-roll ball handler, yeah. being able to distribute to the outside and then to yeah. um, throwing it up to uh, Allen, that they could make a bit of noise, potentially. Yeah. Oh. Well, maybe not a bit of noise, but I think improvement, I think that's the key, especially with the Nets and the spot that they're in. I think improvement's like, definitely... Is going to be significant, I think, with the Brooklyn Nets. One last play before we move on to the last couple of teams. We've gone for a while here, but we are nearly done. A couple more topics to touch on. We have... I have Kemba Walker in Charlotte. Now with James Borrego at the helm and Tony Parker coming over from San Antonio. Tony, uh, James Borrego, uh, obviously, coming from San Antonio. Another one from the Greg Popovich tree. Um, distributed amongst the league. Offensive-minded, which is what Kemba Walker is. And what James Borrego has done coaching is he's all about fundamentals as what the San Antonio Spurs has been for the last 20 years, obviously, just moving the ball. But literally, a lot of James Borrego's sets literally just come from pass, cut, and replace the open space. And that's fundamental of spreading the floor and moving the ball. And I think with Kemba Walker... He's a guy, a bit of a bit of a thrasher, slasher, sorry, who has worked on his outside shooting, of course. Being able to penetrate, and he's going to find, I think other guys are going to benefit from this more so, but I think Kemba Walker is going to be a great distributor from this. Kemba Walker being able to drive and distribute because of the system and the spacing that James Borrego likes to implement in offensive strategies. And what Tony Parker is going to be able to pass on to Kemba Walker, I think, it's going to be a really good head coach point guard tandem, I, I believe, um, in the league. And I think uh, I think Kemba Walker's going to have a pretty good year, to be honest. The only kind of thing I would say in against that is that yeah. they're probably what I don't, they're probably going to run Marvin Williams and Kid Gilchrist out there at the same time. And are they? Oh, I know particularly Kid Gilchrist. He isn't scaring me particularly too much from deep. Yeah, but you're also forgetting Nick Batum. Yeah. Nick Batum, I think, will... They love... Is, is he going to be healthy? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if he's going to start but start the year, but I think with Batum and Malik Monk especially, he's very erratic. But he's still out there. Who can shoot the ball? Um, you have Frank Kaminsky on the outside. 
Um, and I don't know. I think I think they've still got shooters out there. I mean, just looking at their roster, I I think I think they're going to be able to implement that kind of coaching strategy. I believe. Well, and let's we not forget see... Miles Bridges as well. He's not much of an outside shooter as well. But again, just driving and kicking and that fundamental basketball that San Antonio Spurs and James Brega likes to play is just going to space the floor floor a lot more. Even just get Kemba Walker shots at the rim a lot more. Yeah, but inefficient two-point shots aren't the way the league's going. Yeah, but you can't really look at where the... I guess where the league's going. If you can get an open shot, though, that's the point. That's what that's I think what James Brago's offense is about. He's getting that San Antonio spur, open shot, good look, basket instead of you know just going for going for threes. I guess. Also, just time. quietly, yeah. Um, Kemba Walker's only making twelve million dollars this year, and then he's a re- unrestricted free agent. Yeah, he. That's another thing, actually. He again. It's one thing to say certain things, but he's made it very clear that he wants to stay in Charlotte. He says he can't see himself playing anywhere else. He's linked with New York, the Knicks, because he's from New York uh, a bit, and he's been kind of asked about. It. And of course, you know, players say things like, "Yeah, I don't want to play anywhere else," and this and that. But Kemba Walker's made it clear on multiple occasions that he wants to stay in Charlotte. Yeah, that's fair. He's probably going to make. He's he's going. He, 28 season, 28 year season this year, so he's probably gonna have a pretty good contract next time he signs. Yeah, I think so. No, definitely. I think I think that I do think that Kemba Walker is gonna thrive under Borrego, personally. Um, but yeah, moving on. What any teams that you're looking at, Max? Uh, a couple of teams, both in the Western Conference. First one, Denver Nuggets. Yeah. Um, I think. People forget that last year Millsap missed a considerable amount of time, yeah. and when he came back, they really kind of turned it on, mm-hmm. um, and especially the way they set up under Malone defensively, having Millsap out there. Uh, Jokic is a very poor defensive player; often gets lost and yeah. bullied. And I think having bullied is a yeah. <laughs> um, Having Millsap there is definitely going to help out, and it's probably also going to push Will Barton back to the bench, which is probably going to have a see an uptick in bench production. Yeah. And then you throw in the potential for what it, what you can get from Isaiah Thomas. I'm, I'm say that with a grain of salt because he's could be injured, um, yeah. but and then also the fact that they got significant value by getting Michael Porter Jr. at 13. Um, potent, he's got back issues but getting him at 13 I thought was great value yeah but then the problem is is with all these teams is there's going to be a log jam from 3 to 11 in the west and where they stack up is going to how they play each other is going to work out how they stack up and just with the west in general it's there's no kind of easy games like the east mm-hmm. yeah. um, and that's why I think all these teams the Portlands, the OKCs, the Nuggets, the Timberwolves—they're just going to find themselves tough game after tough game, and each like a Tuesday night is probably going to play into how they stack up at the end of the year. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, you look—I think you hit the nail on the head with that with the Denver Nuggets. I think Thomas—I mean, if he's not healthy, 
if he's not playing where he was or how he was when he was in Boston, he's an unathletic un- five foot nine guy in the NBA. There's not really much room for him anymore. Not much. If he's not playing like he did in Boston. Exactly. Um, one team I want to touch on uh, in the East is Milwaukee. Not, I guess, obviously with Giannis, they're expected to make the playoffs. So I don't know if they're a team that's going to be underrated, but I think, I'll start off by saying I think Giannis is going to win the MVP award this year. Um, I think Coach, uh, they brought um, Mike Budenholzer from the Atlanta Hawks over. He was a hot commodity in the uh, in the offseason, linked with Phoenix, the Knicks actually, and of course um, Milwaukee. I think he's going to unlock a different part of ga- uh, Giannis' game that we haven't seen before. I think it's going to be a lot more of a free-flowing offense, especially in the open court, which is where Giannis thrives because no, he's unstoppable in the open court. He's LeBron-esque in the open court, honestly. Um, and especially especially players like Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe, I think are going to thrive. When Giannis is on the, on the, on the bench, they look to those guys for offense and... And rightfully so, obviously. But I, th- I saw so many times it would just be Middleton trying to play a bit of iso ball, um, you know, with the shot clock running down. And you're not going to get points like that. Middleton's a great player, but he's not much of an iso player. And even Bledsoe's not a whole lot of an iso player. So I think just a lot more of a fl- free-flowing offense is going to help Milwaukee, M- Milwaukee thrive a bit. And especially with Brook Lopez coming in. Throw him into the mix. He's going to provide a different scoring punch because he is going to be a low post presence, which I haven't seen since I don't know, guys, ages. <laughs> I don't know. Like I mean, obviously with John Henson doesn't have much of a low post presence. Um, neither does neither did Larry Sanders when he was in the league. Not as yeah. much as what Brook Lopez is going to bring and. I think they're going to be a team that, you know, you could see finishing, in my opinion, I think they could finish maybe in the fourth spot in the East. I mean, there's no one else really out there, especially yeah, for sure. an MVP candidate in your roster. I think they could finish fourth. Um, especially if they just surround him with, like, Middleton, Snell, and Brooke Lopez, all who can kind of space the floor and shoot, it, shoot from deep. Definitely, definitely. Is that the way that... Um, Budenholzer likes to play that that's going to play open more and I probably you're probably going to see the ball in Giannis's hands a lot more so I would say wouldn't you, sure. wouldn't you agree I agree for sure and I'm glad you brought Snell up actually that did kind of slip my mind but uh, Snell is I think he's he's got a bit of love oh he's got a bit of respect around the league for the way he plays and how hard he plays and I think Bud loves him yep yeah and so that's just another also just a couple of extra bench plays they signed Ersan Ilyasova from the Sixers. I like the signing, but not at three years, $21 million, especially when he's already 31. <coughs> yeah. Um, I thought that was a bit overs, personally. And another guy that I am a bit more of a fan of is Sterling Brown. Yeah. He had a bit of an issue last year with um, the police, I believe, and I don't think they played him. But to- at the start of the year, he was definitely helping them out, um, especially their bench unit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, they have they they have guys on the team that are capable of winning them even like forty five to fifty games. And again, with the MVP candidate, I don't see why that's how that's not inconceivable. So 
Do you um, think he can, can sustain it for 82 games, though? He did, did, he did um, yeah, back up, so sort of cool down a bit towards the end of the year. Without question. He started out red hot. No, without question, I think he can. He's a gym junkie. Gym junkie's always in the gym. As you've heard the... I'm sure you've heard, like, the reports and stuff. He loves the gym. And one thing about Giannis, he's the type of player... You saw it in the All-Star game. Even the preseason, he has, like, a triple, ju- triple double. So he's still playing significantly in the preseason. He just loves winning. He just wants to win, and he's he's a competitor. He's ultra competitive, and just loves loves winning, and loves working out, and loves basketball, and and hopefully Milwaukee for his sake and their sake with Giannis that they can pull through. Because you don't want any don't want him being tempted to you know buy a bigger city maybe or a um, maybe a better team. So hopefully for their sake they can. Um, one last thing. I just and, w- sorry, surprisingly no, cheap as well at twenty five million. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the numbers, Maxi. Um, I'm just going to say quickly, just about the New Orleans Pelicans. I don't think they're going to be as bad as maybe what people think. Um, defensively, especially, they brought in Alfred Payton. He handles the ball extremely well. Andrew Holiday pair them up in the backcourt. And I think he's got a pretty formidable defensive backcourt. Uh, and don't forget, they still managed to finish the season strong and made a real push for the playoffs um, when Boogie went down with that Achilles injury. And let's add as well, they still have the third best player in the league, Anthony Davis. So Yeah, I just, guess any time you have one of those players who's significantly better than probably a night in, night out opponent, yeah. that you're always gonna be in the mix. Yeah. And that's what he brings. Yeah, no for sure. And of course defensively as we all know. Um and Troy Williams, I'm just gonna bring him up. He um only because he was on the Knicks, of course. <laughs> um, no, he was on the Knicks and he had, he was tough to not earn a roster spot. He got waived. Um, and he is an absolute competitor. He loves another one of those guys. He's a scrapper. He'll die for the loose ball. He'll take a charge. And I think he's just going to be another piece for them off the bench, which is of course what you need. Yeah. But once again, they're going to be stuck in that log jam of teams. Definitely. Definitely. But I don't think they're going to be as... I know, of course, when Boogie leaves, you're going to think a team just going to... And Rondo especially. Rondo seemed to like playing with AD. Are you picking them to make the playoffs? Yeah, they'll make the playoffs. They'll make the playoffs. I guess the only other thing that I had to add was not necessarily that they could be good, but they could maybe surprise people about how okay they could be, I guess. And that's the Memphis Grizzlies. Yep. Um... Just, I guess, getting Gasol and Conley back um, will help them. They just always win. They seem to find a way to win there, those two. Yeah. And then there's always that unknown of Chandler Parsons. And he has has shown something. I I know it's preseason, but... I think preseason counts as something. Yeah. And obviously, obviously like you spoke about before, Jaron Jackson, um, especially what he can bring defensively. Yeah. And also, just lastly, but Kyle Anderson, who they signed, they signed him four years, $37 million. So he can play point forward, shoots it at 53%, and can defend the wing. He's 25, and he's going to be in the prime of his career, and you're getting him at under 10 mil a year, which I think is extremely good value. Definitely, I agree, man. Without question, and of course... In a system like the Grizzlies play with, it's that notorious grit and grind. 
Yeah, and slow. Yeah, definitely <laughs> slow, yeah. Carl Anderson, <laughs> a slow player. He will, I think he'll thrive. Um, touching on Chandler Parsons, I don't think, I personally don't, I think he's, I don't think he is, I don't, his mode is terrible, doesn't have a good work ethic, doesn't seem to care. And he looks high all the time. He doesn't look good. Like, he doesn't look good. Um, but yeah. Oh, one thing actually I want to touch on. They also signed a team like the Memphis Grizzlies, notorious always for the defense. They drafted, I think, with the 32nd pick. Yeah, in the first, yeah, the 32nd pick. They drafted Javon Carter out of West Virginia. And he won back to back NABC Defensive Player of the Year awards, which is the National Association of Basketball Coaches. So, awarded by college basketball players. Wow. Um, back to back. One as a freshman, and then one in his uh, sophomore year. And he in the sophomore year, he also won the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year as well. So he is an absolute grinder, pun intended, because that is what they are. The grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies. I think he'll fit in perfectly with the Memphis Grizzlies. And he can score as well. He's had glimpses in the preseason where he's put up a few numbers. And again, take it with a grain of salt, but that has to count for something. But yeah, was there any anything else you wanted to touch on? Matt? No, I think that was it. I think we've probably gone a bit over we've time. Gone, but... We've gone. We've we've <laughs> taken a long time. We've taken but... a very long time. Hopefully, we still have some listeners left. <laughs> Hopefully, we still have some uh, listeners left. But no, that's. A, I've had a great time. I've had a great time as well. So even if no one's listening right now, Max, we've at least enjoyed each other's company and enjoy talking hoops, which I know we both love. Yes, I just get I too excited, man. Like, I couldn't <laughs> narrow anything down. Like, I needed to talk about everything we talked about because I was just too excited. Uh, I just can't wait till when Philly plays again. I just can't wait when till Philly the Knicks... Plays, yeah. I just can't wait till the Knicks sign Kevin Durant next year, man. I, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. Is, is, um, is Paul Zingas playing opening night? No. No, there's talks he could miss the whole year. Yeah. Well, I mean, either way, I don't mind... Because we still have our we still have our pick next year. Don't yeah, RJ Barrett. It could, it could be nice. Yeah, I think he's a hype train. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe next episode. Next episode, maybe we can talk about some uh, college prospects. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyway, Max, thanks heaps for coming on and chatting hoops with me. Always a pleasure with you, man. Um, well, I guess you didn't really come on, quite frankly. We're making this a regular thing. <laughs> one, one or two, we're going to look at doing one or two pods a week. We still need a name. Um, we're thinking... I I love um, the, the Hungry Dogs pod. Yeah. In Harmish and Chase and Kelsey, Philadelphia Eagles center after his notorious speech. But anyone who has any suggestions for a name or um, that... Max and I can use for our podcast, all for it. We need we need a name, um, but yeah, still in the works, I guess. But yeah, no. Anyway, um, Max, without further ado, I think that will wrap us up. And thank you again for chatting with me. And we will talk to you all soon. Thanks, Stegs. Go Sixers. Absolutely, mate. And we will be. Both tuning in, I'm sure, on Wednesday. Or Thursday. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, mate, have a good one, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you.